0: Welcome to the Be Whole, Do Good podcast. We're your hosts, Todd and Ashley Marchand, and this show is about strengthening families through whole being health.
1: At a time when there is so much that can distract, discourage, and disconnect us, our family is on a journey that is led by three core questions. What whole being practices can we implement so every member of our family can have increased capacity, save your life more deeply, and use their gifts to do good? How do we translate and apply what we learn into simple, tiny habits that work amidst the demands of life? And how can we use our increased capacity to better care for others in our family, community, and throughout the world?
0: Each month, our family focuses on one core area of whole being health. We take the biggest challenges we're facing in that area, seek out answers and direction, and do all we can to implement what we learn all the while sharing our journey through this podcast so you can learn and grow alongside us.
1: We joyfully invite you and your family to join us on this whole being health journey.
0: Thanks for listening to today's episode. It's an exciting one for us as it's the first interview we recorded since we decided to focus on strengthening families and to do the majority of interviews with both Ashley and I together. This month's focus for our family is on strengthening our physical well-being. A couple of weeks ago, I interviewed Drew Ramsey about what foods are some of the most important, particularly for nourishing good mental health. For this episode, we had the opportunity to interview Sarah Ladin, not on what to feed our families, but on how to feed them in a way that leads to joy, connection, trust, and autonomy. I hope you enjoy the interview as much as we did. Welcome back to the Behold You Good podcast. This is Todd and Ashley Marchin and we are super excited to have Sarah Laddin on the show today. Sarah is a registered dietitian nutritionist and a family feeding expert and the founder of Better Family Meals. And I have to say Sarah, that the way I found you was basically Ashley and I saying, "Hmm, we could use some help with some advice <laughs> on feeding our family. And I I researched a whole bunch of experts and you just stood out. And oh, what you so stood wonderful. out for is you just have this emphasis, and this is what I, I think we'll end up spending a lot of our time talking yeah. about today, but this emphasis on not just teaching what we should feed our families, which I feel like there's so much information out there, and but, but the emphasis on how. How do you feed your family in a way that eliminates the food battles and the stress and the pressure and the uh, contention around food, particularly with with picky eaters. So uh, thank you for the wonderful work you're doing and for oh, responding to you. me, reaching out and being willing to be on the show.
1: Yes. <laughs>
2: yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. It's, um, you know, talking with parents about feeding is something that I'm so passionate about as a parent myself. Um, and you're right, sort of that real foundational knowledge of how to feed is not something that we really have as parents of older kids. You know, I find when you have a baby, you have sort of an overload of information about how to breastfeed or how to bottle feed, or, you know, as you're starting solids, lots of information. If you did baby led weaning, you know, there's, baby led weaning universities, <laughs> and, you know, and then it's sort of, once your child is old enough to join you at the family table, once they're eating solids, it's sort of like, okay, you're good to go. Um, and, you know, that's really, I think, a disservice to par- parents. There's just a real knowledge gap once your kids get to the table, because it it does get rocky, as we all know. And feeding is, you know, a really hard part of parenting um for lots of reasons that we can get into but yeah so you know i really view my job as sort of a parent coach and helping to hold parents hands as they really question you know what's going on with their feeding relationship with their child so
0: mm. oh that's it It you're singing to the choir here <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes. So excited for this! And so, maybe just really quick, as as a part of a just more introduction to you, and then I'm sure. I'm eager to just get right into the details. But you had a bit of a background already in nutrition. Uh-huh. Uh, it it sounds like when you started having kids and your friends started having kids, that you began to find this new passion, have this new focus. Tell us a little bit about just what your experience was that fed into yeah. you know having this focus
2: yeah absolutely. so um, my original sort of path as a dietitian was more in communications. so I worked in marketing, I worked in public relations, I did work with you know food brands, and it was fine, you know um it was it was not something that I was truly passionate about and so honestly, I was sort of questioning if I wanted to stay in the dietetics of the nutrition field and then I had kids <laughs> and you know I had all of this information in my head about nutrition and, you know, what my kids should be eating and sort of this idealized version of what that would look like. And, you know, when that wasn't how it played out, um, you know, when my child, you know, when my first you know, wouldn't eat the applesauce that I had painstakingly, you know, picked. We were living in Vermont at the time and, you know, we had these apple trees and I had this fantasy that I would make this applesauce and it would be like, you know, like the movie Baby Boom. And it wasn't and she wouldn't eat it. And, you know, it was sort of like one experience after the other. And it was really confused because I thought you know I'm the nutrition expert, I know what to feed my child. why isn't this working? And you know same with with friends coming to me. Um, and I really thought, you know I think there's something more here other than what I'm feeding her. So I started to do a lot of research um, and we can talk about some of that as well, but really was looking more at the foundational piece of how am I feeding her? um and then as i had more children i have 3 daughters now um just really kind of did a lot of research at my own kitchen table um and so really found a passion for teaching other parents how to how to feed their families and developed um you know sort of a proprietary system and then opened my own my own private practice so
1: mm, that's amazing and so helpful I don't know if it would be helpful for you <laughs> to kind of have this be like a, we're telling you what our questions are with our specific needs. And then yeah. I want to hear all the research, everything that you sure. have that comes to your mind. But we were actually talking last night, like, what are all of our questions? And I probably talked for 10 minutes straight of, these are <laughs> all of my questions. Yeah, I'm so that's not
2: uncommon, so.
1: Okay, so we have a lot of questions about the how, So we, we mm-hmm. want to like respect the privacy of our kids on this, sure. but, but we do have one in particular, super picky eater mm-hmm. and the how has been really difficult. So just a little bit of background with our experience with her. Most of the help that I've received is just through talking to our pediatrician mm-hmm. and a lot of that help hasn't gone very far So we've received, you know, the counsel, like if you expose your child to a food for maybe 10 to 15 times, they'll start to like it. So we eat vegetables all the time and still there's like no interest in vegetables after years and years of that. Also, there's like a fear of textures. It's almost like a fear sometimes when you place something on the plate. So I don't know if we, maybe we just start there with, with just like giving us some ideas of when you have, there's probably a spectrum of picky eaters, but when you have like an extremely picky eater that maybe only is willing to eat like 10, 10 foods total and they're like a little bit older like what do we do <laughs> sure. so let's sort
2: of get down to the beginning so my goal when i work with families is again to sort of understand like what what families goals are um it, and what i end up doing is a lot of times sort of scrapping some of <laughs> some of what we talk about initially because Again, we want to go down to the foundation of feeding. So, for me, that's helping families to establish trust and autonomy at the dinner table. And those are two things that can feel really scary, um, especially when you're dealing with a child who has a very limited variety in their diet. So, to say to a parent, you know, we're really going to work on you trusting your child's appetite and helping them really develop you know some autonomy at the table um, because that you know if you're a parent with a child who eats so few foods, you really want to get nutrition into them. So I often counsel families on agenda free feeding and that is again a really scary thing for parents. Um, but just to understand that as you're feeding your child, if you have an agenda in the back of your mind, that's something that can inhibit that trust and autonomy piece. Mm -hmm. Um, So ideally, you know, most parents who come to me say they have a list. I want to get my child to X, Y, Z. And really your job as a parent um, is not necessarily to get your child to do anything. And this is, as you know, true for feeding, but also true for all aspects of parenting. You know, once your child has it in their head that, you know, they know that you have an agenda, that's when the battles come up. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's, you know, with an iPad or, you know, with a with a bowl of peas and carrots. Right. Um, so I help parents not necessarily look at what can I get my child to eat, but how can I get my child to develop that intrinsic curiosity about food? and become self-motivated, that they're going to want to try new food. So it's really sort of changing that agenda from getting them to physically eat something to getting them to the place where they feel safe and confident and really feel like there's that trusted, connected relationship with, with the, the caregiver, that they can develop that curiosity. Um, and that, that's something that doesn't happen overnight. You know, it doesn't even necessarily happen over, you know, two months, three months, four months. Um, So what I hear you saying, you know, you've been offering foods for many years and you're not necessarily seeing um, that exposure translate into, you know, eating. That's Mm -hmm. very normal. Um, So I think, again, there's sort of a disservice done to parents just to take that blanket phrase like... Kids need 12 to 15 exposures, and then you're good. (laughs) Um, In reality, I mean, that's not what I experience with my own children. That's not what I see in my practice. Um, So looking at how do you develop that curiosity? Because it's not just serving a food. That's that's not going to do it. So really, there are three things that we look for to help do that. Um, And this all comes from a, a theory of feeding called responsive feeding. So the first is the child needs to feel connected. So these are called the three C's. So the child needs to feel connected. So that connection um, with the parents is built on trust. And it's built on knowing that my parents aren't going to feel any differently about me, whether I eat what's on my plate or whether I don't. And I think sometimes as parents, even if we're not outwardly saying, you know, you, you have to clean your plate, we're giving signals all the time to our kids, you know, whether it's a, a sigh or mm-hmm. you know a quick eye roll or, a, you know, I know you're not going to eat this, so I'm not even going to put it on your plate. All of those subtle cues um, are really telling our kids that our expectation is that they're going to do this for us, right? It's not about anything else. So the connected part is important. Control, that's the next C. That is super important. A child needs to feel some autonomy at the table. So they need to feel that they have some control over this meal. And the way we do that, if you're familiar at all with um, Ellen Satter's division of responsibility, again, this is another sort of foundational feeding theory. It's based on roles and responsibilities for parent and child at the table. So the parent's role is to determine what is on the menu. It's to determine where the food is served and when the food is served. And that's it. Your job ends Mm -hmm. there. And the child's job is to decide if they're going to eat the food that was served and how much they're going to eat of it. So again, we're giving them some control. Sort of the shorthand of that uh, model of feeding is called, I provide, you decide. Mm -hmm. And then the third, see is capable. So we want our kids to feel capable of doing this. We want to give them, you know, again, those exposures, right? Um, but we also want to give them some wins. So part of that is, you know, when your kids come to the table, you want, to, you want them to feel safe and you want them to feel like they can have a meal with their family, even if there's you know food on the table that they're not familiar with, right? And so you do that by providing a mix of safe foods, so foods that are typically their preferred preferred foods, alongside kind of new foods that you're trying to, you know, give them an opportunity to explore. Um, and sort of once those three Cs are in place, so again, that's connection that's feeling capable, um, and that's feeling, you know, some level of control, once you have those three C's, then you're able to start developing sort of that intrinsic curiosity and self-motivation. But if you don't have those foundational pieces, again, you can serve those peas and carrots all day long, and they're not necessarily going to self-motivate to try them.
1: Mm, That's so interesting and i was thinking just with that first C connection and you, mm-hmm. what you had said before is kind of getting rid of your own agenda i was just thinking i think that that's hard for me because i need to have a mindset shift like yeah. a shift in my thoughts because i am behaving the way that i do of maybe maybe being a little frustrated when You need to have this piece of broccoli that I put on your, on your plate or whatever, because I have fears. I'm realizing like, I am afraid, and this is actually a whole other question, but I'm afraid of what, where will this lead in the future? Like, will you have a a harmed relationship with food? Will it lead to eating disorders? Like that's, that's one place my brain goes. Another is just, are you getting enough? Like, is your body nourished? So can you kind of speak to that of how do we get rid of our own agenda and how do we overcome maybe fears, the fears that I have that are influencing not being able to connect as deeply to allow her to have that like safe environment? And even if it's super subtle, I wouldn't say that I'm ever really rude, but I feel the worry. I guess it's like this constant worry in my mind.
2: Yeah. And you feel the worry and kids feel the worry, you know? Mm -hmm. So part of that is, you know, we feel internally stressed and for good reason. I mean, everything that we do around feeding for our kids is well-intentioned, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, we're we're trying to nourish them, right? Like you said, we're trying to provide food for them. Food is love. Food is, you know, there's so much wrapped up around Mm -hmm. food. And when we worry that they're, Not eating enough, or that they're eating too much, or that you know they're what what they have on their plate doesn't match, you know what I've seen on Instagram and what I've Mm. seen from this and that influencer. Um, There's some guilt, there's some shame, there's some frustration, and all of that that we feel internally gets transferred to our kids. Mm -hmm. And what that does is it raises the stress level at a meal, right? And even if it's subtle there is still sort of that underlying pressure and stress, even if we're not outwardly saying, you know, you must clean your plate before you get dessert. And that sort of low humming level of stress can inhibit appetite. It Mm, can really, and more than that, it inhibits connection, right? Mm -hmm. Because I always tell parents, your table is like your classroom, right? Um, And it's an opportunity for exploration and What I think can happen is, you know, it becomes to parents, you know, less of a classroom and more of just like, A list of things that have to happen. You know, Mm -hmm. you have to sit down. You have to, um, you know, we're using, you know, our, our forks in a certain way. We're behaving in a certain way. We're sitting down for a certain amount of time. You know, we're eating this food first before that food, or we're not having more of this before we eat of this. And so when we have all of those rules and all of those expectations, and when we're constantly sort of pointing out to our children, that they're not meeting our expectations at mealtime, that's not conducive to a learning environment. Mm -hmm. Um, And so by just giving up that agenda um, and saying, you know, dinner time is going to be about connection and it's gonna be, we're not going, like one of the easiest things to do is say, we're not gonna talk about what's on our plates or what's not being eaten. And just to say, as as a general rule from going forward, we're going to serve food, we're going to make sure that there's always some safe foods that we know our child, you know, generally eats. And if those are the foods that they choose to fill up on, that's okay. Um, and also, if they choose maybe not to eat at that meal, that's also okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as a parent of a picky eater, there is some real stress, right? Are they getting enough? Like you said, and so just sort of saying we're gonna let them, we're gonna let them choose all the time how much they're gonna eat. That can feel really scary. Um, there are some solutions for that. One is to have a really, um, a really thoughtful feeding schedule, and so understanding that, like you as the parent, are going to decide when food is served, right? And so you're gonna have, you know, three meals a day. And two to three snacks a day. And all of those eating opportunities are gonna provide, you know, substantive nourishment. So the snack after school, right? We're gonna start to think of that more as like a mini meal, right? Because oftentimes when kids get home from school, They are hungry because, Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't tell you how many times my kids come home with a full lunchbox because Mm -hmm. they were chatting (laughs) at lunch. They were rushing. They, you know, they went to the bathroom and then they had like seven minutes left of lunch. (laughs) Um, So one of the things you can do is make sure that all of the eating opportunities throughout the day, including snacks, are really nourishing so that we don't necessarily have to put like, all of the proverbial eggs in the dinner basket, right? Mm
1: -hmm. Because
2: especially with little kids, if you get to the end of the day and that's where your focus is on making sure like this is our last time to get this nourishment in our kiddo for the day, that's when that stress and that pressure can really ramp up. Um, And also, as you know, particularly with little kids, their nervous system is fried by the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So the expectation that they can sit and focus on a meal is often not realistic. Um, So oftentimes if I'm working with families who are really struggling with the dinner meal, we talk about trying to front load some of those calories earlier in the day. So finding the times in the day that your child is kind of hungry and willing to eat and really focusing on those opportunities to get some variety get some nourishment get some get some calories into your child at those points and that could be a breakfast meal that could be you know um, that could be an after-school snack just lots of opportunities but I think maybe taking less of the focus off of dinner time um, and kind of spreading it around the day can be really helpful
0: man these are like life-changing I feel like (laughs) it's like just this this total helpful helpful paradigm shift that we've been seeking for but but haven't been receiving and so really really grateful and I just love that vision so much of of the experience that we're trying to create Mm -hmm. around mealtime and it's so true that when there's that underlying stress and fears that we're feeling it's like totally prohibitive from having the type of connecting experience that we want to have around the dinner table. We intentionally have family dinner every night to yeah. have that type of experience, yeah. but approaching food in that way, I think, well, I can see how it would help lead to that. So one of one of the other questions that I have that I think would be helpful is I'm thinking about just, you know, after this conversation as we walk away and we go back to normal life and and to be able to maintain or continue to build this ability to remove our stress and and fears i think one thing that would be helpful to have more knowledge on is just you know fruits and vegetables <laughs> you know so we, we we take this approach and we we are in charge of providing they're in charge of deciding and with our picky eater Fruits and vegetables are just like the last thing. Like I, I'm i trying to think of a single fruit or vegetable, you know, that they sure. would consistently eat. And obviously in the nutrition world, we know how important those are. We know all the nutrients they provide. Yeah. And so that's where I think some of the the worry and stress comes sure. from is, are they getting enough of those nutrients? And so if if, you know, as we go and we do this, there are no fruits and vegetables being eaten, yeah. Yep. What what's your what's your sure. perspective to help with that?
2: So I can tell you I hear this all of the time from parents um because there has been so much emphasis on fruits and vegetables on you know half of your plate fruits and veggies as we see sort of in the USDA my plate. Um and I will say per- vegetables in particular they have become so exalted in the nutrition world that the panic really sets in for parents when their children are not eating vegetables. And I say vegetables in particular because vegetables can be really, really tricky for children um, because children can sometimes perceive tastes and flavors differently than adults. So particularly those bitter flavors of vegetables. So you may hear your child saying, icky, yuck, this is gross. And you're thinking they're just exaggerating. In reality, lots of kids are what we call super tasters. And they actually taste that bitter um, flavor more acutely. And so that broccoli to you may just taste like it's broccoli, whatever. But to a child, it can really taste bitter. So, you know, with vegetables, I often tell parents, and I can talk to your specific situation in a minute, but for parents whose kids are eating fruit, but aren't eating vegetables, great. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, fruit has the same nutrients as vegetables. So yes, keep offering those vegetables, you know, keep modeling yourself that you're eating the vegetables. But it is not a necessity in the diet if your child is also sort of getting the same nutrients in fruit. Now, if they're getting neither, there are a couple things um, that you can work on. So particularly if you have a child who has, uh, you know, food texture sensitivities, mm-hmm. they're going to struggle with fruits and vegetables for a couple reasons. One is that they're never all the same. Like, so for example, this morning I was serving some blueberries to my girls and within that blow- bowl of blueberries, there were probably, you know, 17 different textures. They were really mushy mm-hmm. ones, they were really hard ones. There were, you know, ones all in between and also flavors, you know, some were really sweet, some were really sour. So the sort of fluctuation in flavors and textures of fruits and vegetables can be really hard for a picky eater. So what do we do? A couple of things. Um, One of the first things that I often recommend to parents of picky eaters if they're having trouble with fruits and vegetables is to try frozen. So lots of kids um, who have trouble with textures do really well with frozen fruits and vegetables. And I know parents think of that like as a smoothie, which is a great option, but also just giving them to them sort of in a bowl. So oddly enough, like frozen peas and frozen carrots um, and frozen corn, just like as a snack, like kids love that um, Mm -hmm. because it's just, it's nice and icy. It doesn't have a strong flavor profile. It's crunchy, it's cool. So that's something you could try. Like I I would probably start with peas, maybe some corn. Um, The other thing is freeze dried fruit is amazing for a kid who really loves a crunchy texture like a chip, right? Freeze dried strawberries, freeze dried bananas, um, any of those things that kind of have that that crunchy texture. Again, same nutrients that you're going to find. All they're doing is removing the water. Um, So that's a great way to sort of get some of those, those nutrients in also like canned fruits and vegetables, um, also a nice option. So if your kid does like an applesauce or even a fruit cup, and I know that parents like really worry about, so for example, some of the fruit cups that have those little mandarin oranges floating around in juice I hear, but there's so much sugar in that juice, honestly, like just let some of that go. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I think another issue that we have as parents is we become so hyper focused on what's kind of called nutritionism, which is almost like this purity mindset. Like if there's if there's some sugar added to something that is sort of taking away from the overall nutritional profile of, of what I'm offering, when in reality it's the sugar doesn't take away the nutrients, right? Mm-hmm. So if, if that's a way, if that's an entry point for your child, like a fruit cup with some juice in it, that's, that's a great entry point for a child who has like a really sweet profile. And if that's Mm. the way that you kind of get them on board, that's, it's honestly okay. You're not, you know, you're not sort of negating the benefit by adding a little bit of juice to it.
1: Mm, That's super helpful.
0: Thank you for listening to part one of our interview with Sarah Laddin. Subscribe to the podcast or join our email list at beholddogood.com to be notified when part two goes live on Thursday. Also, Ashley and I are so excited to announce that the last week of this month, we'll be hosting a free five-day challenge for parents. If you have a child that is a yeller, or who retreats to silence, or refuses to go to school, or who turns to teasing when they feel off, or who acts out their difficult emotions in any way you're not sure how to respond to, this five-day challenge is for you. With a small investment of time each day that last week of April, you'll be given some simple, doable tips that help you to be more mindful as a parent and a better guide for your kids in processing their difficult emotions in more healthy ways. If you're interested in joining us, head over to beholdyougood.com and click on the banner at the top of the website. Whether you're ready to join us this go around or not, we are here to be a support to you and your family and hope you have a wonderful day.